Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Laura Mullen. Laura has been working in animal welfare for the last 15 years in various positions within the Shelter Medicine Department at the San Francisco SPCA. About five years ago, she received a grant to start a ringworm education program and the SPORE, Shelters Preventing Outbreaks of Ringworm Through Education program was born. This program provides support to surrounding municipal shelters and gives them tools on how to better detect, treat, and manage ringworm in their facility. The San Francisco SPCA works with the shelters to pull and treat the confirmed positive and most importantly, teach them how to protect the rest of the population. Ringworm will always find itself into an animal shelter, but if found early and properly dealt with, a ringworm instance can be contained and not develop into an outbreak. They believe in volunteer involvement and engagement and utilize volunteers in every aspect of ringworm treatment at their facility. They are currently hosting an apprenticeship program through Maddie's Fund, where shelter workers from across the country come to the San Francisco SPCA for a three-day hands-on workshop and learn the basics of starting a ringworm treatment center at their own shelter. Ringworm is hard work for an animal shelter and affects the most vulnerable but highly adoptable population, the kittens. Even though it's hard work, they firmly believe that it is treatable and nothing worth dying for. The SOAR program at the San Francisco SPCA provides educational resources and protocols to surrounding shelters to try and eliminate the fear of ringworm when it's found in the shelter setting. Laura, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so, so incredibly excited, and people will think I'm strange, but I'm very excited to talk about ringworm. It was a big, big topic for me over the years when running a cat shelter. But before we dive deep into ringworm, I would like to find out how did you get started in animal welfare? I got started in animal welfare in 2001 when I moved out to San Francisco, and I was kind of looking for a job, and animal welfare has always been something that has interested me, and so I got involved with my local animal shelter in San Francisco. They had a placement for a job opportunity in the shelter medicine department, and I took that as a sign that it was something that I really wanted to do. I always have been trying to be a voice for the animals and try to help them get over ailments and that sort of thing. So joining the shelter medicine team at the San Francisco SPCA was a really good fit for me. And once I got involved, I've been there ever since. So I guess it was truly meant to be when I moved out to the city. That's great. So had you worked in veterinary practices before that time or with animals before that, or had you just come directly from school or from another job? I had worked in a vet practice during college, but then also I worked with actually primate research. So I did all through college through primate anthropology and research for that. I worked as an undergrad in a lot of treatment programs for non-invasive research for primates, but then decided that I didn't really want to go further in that field, but I really wanted to still help the animals and still help 
watch them and observe them and be able to make treatment plans for them and that sort of thing. So it's always been a passion to be with animals. And so it started when I went to school in Emory and Atlanta, Georgia, and worked at a primate institute down there. We're going to jump right into ringworm. One of those topics that you never wanted to mention the word in the shelter if you didn't have it. Because if you talked about, wow, we haven't seen any ringworm yet this year, and everybody would look at you like, what did you just say? <laughs> you know, yeah, knock on wood or something. <laughs> <laughs> what exactly is ringworm? So ringworm is also called dermatophytosis, and ringworm is a superficial fungal infection that lives on the skin. And the fungus invades the keratin coating of the hair and nails. And because cats and kittens are so full of hair, ringworm just loves them because it loves the keratin that's on their hair. So the ringworm, really, it's just a fungus that's living on their hair follicles, not necessarily even affecting too much of the health of the animal aside from their fungal, from their hair coat. Now, I've heard people reference ringworms as the same thing as athlete's foot. Is that an accurate assessment? That is correct. So athlete's foot is one of the species called trichophyton metagrophytes. It's actually a species that animals can get. And actually one of my volunteers wants to rename ringworm to cat's foot because they feel that that's a better <laughs> term for it. But yes, it's the same thing as athlete's foot. So many people have dealt with it with their own children and that sort of thing, getting it from sports and that sort of endeavors. But it's very common and it is just a fungal infection. But because cats and kittens have so much hair, it really sort of builds more of an infection within the cats than it does on humans. Now, actually, we've had some volunteers that have contracted ringworm, but it's been more from gardening than it has yeah. been from being around cats. So, before you start That's actually where a lot of cats get it. A lot of the contaminated soils where cats are digging outside is where actually most of them contract ringworm. It's not found in the animal shelters. It's brought into the animal shelters by the cats from the community and from different people's houses. But it's very common that people will get it when they are gardening and playing in the soils, which is where it got the term worm because people were digging in the soils and then they got this sort of raised ring on their hand that looked like a worm underneath their skin and where they kind of got the term of ringworm from. I think it's unfortunate that sometimes people, if they do contract ringworm, they immediately look to their own cats as being the source. And we almost had a, a therapy package that we would sit down with any volunteer to help with educating them about ringworms so that they would understand how many other places there were where they could contract it from. However, we have a lot of foster homes in our system. And if a foster home does have a litter of kittens that do come up having ringworm, what are the concerns in that scenario? So the concerns are whether or not the foster parent can properly isolate the animals and keep them in a cleanable environment. When we have a large, robust foster program here at the San Francisco SPCA, and we really encourage our foster parents to always have kittens in a cleanable environment, like your bathroom or your kitchen, and not expose them to other animals into your house. Now, that's good for ringworm. It's also good for a lot of other diseases that the cat's bringing into the foster parents' homes. So you want to be able to keep them in a cleanable environment. If they've been able to be kept in a bathroom or a kitchen somewhere that's cleanable and maybe low traffic, 
encourage that foster parent now that they have these kittens in their environment to keep them in there and do the treatment there if your shelter does not or rescue is not able to provide care for them back at the home base. Then encourage the foster parent. They've already had it in their house. So now with better cleaning and being able to properly isolate into their bathroom, they should be able to contain the animals in there and contain the spores and the infection within their bathroom as well. By using things such as the topical application of lime sulfur dips um, and the oral medication, you'll really be able to keep a lot of the spore count down once they start getting bathed in the environment. And then after the foster is done and after those animals clear the foster parent, either the foster couldn't take them for full treatment or they were able to clear them within their home, then we just make sure that they do a very good clean of their space to get rid of all the spores. And we teach our foster parents the proper ways to sort of clean their space. But we want to make sure that they're keeping these kittens in a cleanable space to make it a little bit easier for them to take another set of kittens and keep them safe. So let's dive into the SPORE program. Can you tell me specifically what this is all about? This all came about because we had a shelter in our area. A little bit of background, we had been getting better about treating ringworm within our shelter. So we were starting to take from our city shelter known ringworm animals because our program was getting pretty good and successful and they would be able to come in and get out without having to be in there too much longer. So we were able to actually intake known ringworm animals. Well, of course, the word starts getting out when you're able to take in ringworm animals into your facility. So we got in contact with a municipal shelter in our area that has had a really bad ringworm summer, as most of us have had a few of those throughout the years. And they were on their third instance of ringworm in their shelter where they were going to euthanize the whole room for one animal with ringworm. Well, the staff was getting tired about this and the volunteers were getting upset about it, but they didn't know really what else to do. So they contacted me at the San Francisco SPCA and they asked if we could assist their shelter. Their shelter is 45 minutes away from us, if we could give them some assistance. Well, we couldn't really just take the whole room of animals because we didn't have all that room left for open for the animals. So what we did is we went over there, we taught them how to screen, how to culture, how to dip all their animals. And then after a week, we looked at their cultures. Any animals who had a confirmed positive culture, we took those animals into our ringworm program. And then we taught the rest of the staff at the Hayward Shelter how to dip the rest of their animals so that they would be protected from any sort of spores that might have been in that environment. Then we taught them how to clean that room. And then they were able to put all those animals up for adoption without having to euthanize them and feel really safe that they were gotten the ringworm out of their shelter and have been able to clean up afterwards. I'm dying. I have lots of questions here. So you talked about growing cultures. Yes. Specific, what does that mean? So we use in-house cultures that we get from a place that can grow ringworm on a culture plate. And so there's a standardized way of testing that we have learned from Dr. Moriello at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and what she has done at the Dane County Animal Humane Center there in Wisconsin and the stuff that she has done with the vet school as well. They have come up with a lot of standardized methods of how to screen animals with ringworm using in-house cultures. And so there's a certain way that we brush all the animals with a toothbrush, inoculate the culture plate in the same way, And then we're able to apply that standardized method to all the animals in the room. And then we're able to interpret the cultures in one week after they've started to grow in the incubator. 
And so we keep these all on site so that we're able to take a look at them and make sure to make the good next steps for the animals who it might have been exposure and who has a true infection. That's fair. And how many cultures do you do in the whole cycle? If we're just treating an exposure, like an instance that's at an animal shelter, everybody gets one culture, and then the room is closed for seven days. So the animals are examined with a wood lamp and noted if there was any sort of fluorescence or any lesions. Then they're cultured, and then a lime sulfur dip application is applied to their coat. And that is an instant sporicidal, and we'll take off any sort of spores that might have gotten on them, somebody in the room. So it washes that away, and then the animal sits in the cage for seven days while the culture incubates. We don't want the animals moving throughout the shelter because we're unsure about their status. And then after seven days, if I have the cultures myself, I look at them. Or if I'm working with a shelter off-site, they send me photographs of the cultures. And then we call, and I make a determination as to who has a more significant infection and who needs to come to the San Francisco SPCA for treatment and who stays at the shelter can get dipped and be put up for adoption. And then with the cats that are positive, they are then accepted into the San Francisco program. And so I do also only have a limited space, of course, and everybody always has ringworm at the same time. So sometimes there's a waiting list at the different shelters, but the different shelters, I've done a site visit and we've identified an isolation space for me to maybe hold the infected until I can take them to the SPCA. But usually it's within about a week or so. Even if I'm full, I'm able to move some guys around either. We do also have a foster program that takes animals in treatment that are towards the end. They go out to foster when they're least infectious. But then that opens up a room in my positive ward to be able to intake one that's waiting for me at a different shelter. I want to hear from you what the Community Cats Podcast means to you. You can now leave a recorded testimonial on the Community Cats Podcast website and share your thoughts about the show. You can also ask questions, share show ideas, pretty much anything you want. Just go to www.communitycatspodcast.com and click on the testimonial link and record. You hear from me all of the time, and now I want to hear from you. Thank you. Are you new to the Community Cats podcast? Don't know what to listen to first? Feel free to check out the listening module tab where we have grouped shows together by topic so you can listen to a bunch of shows around the same topic. Just click on the listening module tab at www.communitycatspodcast.com and enjoy learning about community cats. And then for the positive cats, you do an internal treatment as well as the lime sulfur dip. Yes. So for anybody who's positive, they get itraconazole and they receive that at five milligrams per kilogram for 21 days. If they are over six months, we do 21 days consecutively. So we do the first three weeks of treatment. If they are under six months, we do a pulse one week on, one week off, one week on, one week off. So it's still 21 days, but over a five-week period. That allows the kittens to grow because it has been proven through research that the hydroconazole exists in the fat layer of the animal. So as they're older, over six months, they have more fat to store the hydroconazole. When they are younger, which is the majority of our population are mainly kittens, we do the pulse therapy so that we are able to get them each time and kind of keep pulsing up the medication in their body. 
And what about the impact on internal organs? That's always been a concern with the internal treatments that it somehow affects the kidneys and Yes, idraconazole is a very proven safe drug for the treatment of ringworm. There have been other drugs in the past, Grecia fulvicin, that used to be really damaging to the liver and kidneys and also not that effective for ringworm. Idraconazole has been used throughout and it's been studied to be very effective and has minimal side effects on any of the organs of the cats. Have you ever had a case that didn't respond to treatment? Nope. Some some are more heavily treated than others, but if you do the correct way of doing it, if you just have a very concise treatment plan and they are in the treatment plan, I haven't had a case that some will take a little bit longer to cure. Those kittens that come in with it very covered all over them might need a little extra time to really let the fungus get off their skin before you move them on, but I've never had anything that hasn't cured with this protocol. We do weekly cultures so that we are monitoring our response to treatment as well. So each week we take all of our animals, we do an exam with the woods lamp, and then we also do a culture. And then we look and see how those cultures are growing each week and that each week they should be going down in their pathogen scores and they should be able to clear. And they usually clear within about eight weeks or so. Six to eight weeks is our usual time for the kittens. And for the positive cats, the lime sulfur dips, Do you do those weekly or on-site in our treatment program? We do use lime sulfur. We do it twice a week, about every three to four days. We do it on Thursdays, and then we'll do it on Sunday or Monday, depending on when their room is deep cleaned. But if they are in our foster program or if they come through our private hospital and maybe their post-adoption case, we have been using the pure oxygen fungal wash in a um, private home or small number setting, like foster home that is only treating two or three, as opposed to our shelter, which is treating 24. Fascinating. So, I'm enjoying this conversation so much. <laughs> I, good. <laughs> I love learning new things and learning about strict protocols for so many years. We've dealt with ringworm. We're like, should we do this or should we do this? And it just seems so refreshing to be like, okay, here's our architecture. Here's our structure. If we follow this, we will be successful. Now, you mentioned the fact that you use volunteers as well as, I would assume, staff members in your ringworm room. How do you prepare them? Do you have them get all covered head to toe going into the room? I love utilizing volunteers because a lot of what I ask for both at our shelter and the shelters that I work for is more than any staff member can really do because shelter workers already have 10,000 other things they're doing, and I'm going in and asking them to do a lot more. So I utilize volunteers to help alleviate some of the workload. So any volunteer that is coming to volunteer for the SPORE program receives an hour lecture about ringworm, how it works, what we're going to be doing with our kittens and that sort of thing. And then before they go into the room, yes, everybody has full ISO gear on. So we wear gowns and booties and gloves. And depending on what we're doing, we usually don't cover our hair We pull our hair back, but haven't found that we really needed to wear hair nuts or anything like that. For the most part, our volunteers help with all the dipping. So they come in on Thursdays and dip all the animals within the room. They also do spot cleans and give the oral medications on that day. They also help me with doing graduations when the animals are getting out of ringworm and they receive their final dip on one day. I have (laughs) one or two volunteers that come in for graduations to help me 
clear out my sort of what I call first negative animals. Then they get cleared out. And then, then every week, because just as important as the oral medication and the topical medication is the environmental cleanliness. And so every week our wards, everything's taken out and we thoroughly deep clean and scrub our wards with a very detailed cleaning protocol. And then those animals at that time are being examined and culture plated by a set of volunteers. And then they're dipped and then returned to a clean environment while we've been scrubbing out their wards. And we have other volunteers that help us scrub the wards. So even though most of the volunteers get in it for the medical side, they understand that the cleaning side is just as important part of treatment. So then they have to volunteer and do some of the cleaning as well. So, yes, we utilize them for every aspect. We teach them how to use the wood lamp, how to document the exams on that, how to do all the culturing. So these are very easy tasks that you can explain to a volunteer, and then they'll just own it. They love seeing the kittens come in all scrappy and hair loss, and then eventually graduating the program with all their hairs intact, and they're able to dance them down the hall, sing the graduation song, and put them up for adoption. So it's a really good feat to have the volunteers see the whole process and really know that they had a hand in everything that happened to these animals. And if we didn't have volunteers to help us, I'd have very cranky, tired staff people who are here to help the animals. But sometimes if you just keep bringing in more and more work, it gets really tiring. So the volunteers have really helped alleviate a lot of that. Oh, you're bringing more animals in to, oh my gosh, yes, we can do this. We can help cure a lot of these animals and we can take more because we have room and we have volunteer manpower to help us do it. What about ferals or maybe or more fractious cats? I know ferals, we hopefully wouldn't see too many of them. Right. But I could see a fractious cat coming in. Yeah. So what's interesting is that we actually have a program here where we take feral moms and we let them raise them in a ward that's kept far away and we let the feral moms do what they want to do. And we actually had one of the feral moms had a big, huge ringworm on her face and she was not the nicest. She was very feral, but loved her babies and took great care of them. And then when the babies were able to be separated from her, they entered the ringworm program because they had started developing lesions. And then she got spayed and neutered and released. So when we do see it through our spay neuter program, we don't necessarily treat the feral cats, but we take note of where their colonies are so that we know if we're getting kittens from there. But then oftentimes we do get kittens then from their colonies that are a little bit older, a little more spicy, and they might have some lesions on them as well. Well, we keep them. We through all the treatments, through all the dipping and exams and flipping over and using the wood lamp, they become super nice cats by the end. And we have had bigger cats that don't really appreciate being in ringworm and being dipped and everything. But we have very low stress ways of handling them and for using our Lime sulfur application, we use a sort of a spray bottle that gives a nice fine mist. So the animals actually don't really mind too bad. They just kind of sit there okay. and we use warm water. So it just kind of is a nice warm dip that just kind of needs to be rubbed in. And then they're placed back in their cage. The nice thing about the dip is that you don't have to rinse it off. You don't have to like let it sit for 10 minutes and then rinse it off, that sort of thing. You just gently spray it on them, give them a little massage, a little squeeze with the towel because they don't have to be dripping dry that just has to make contact and then it has to dry on the hair after. The cats don't really freak out as much as you think they would. They kind of are like, wow, this is a weird shelter. They just kind of dip <laughs> us here. But they're kind of nice. They give us food. 
So then eventually they just sit there. Some cats by the end are purring and making muffins while we're doing the dip. So lots of cats don't really mind too much. And with all the handling that we do with my volunteers and myself, even just for the medical treatments, they become very social. We do also have a volunteer socializing crew that focuses just on our ringworm animals. And we're very fortunate enough that they're able to get visits almost daily for at least 15 minutes each. My understanding is that if spores are left uncleaned, and I'm not recommending this, but it takes Mm -hmm. about a year for the spores to lose their effectiveness. Is that an accurate statement? Well, yes and no. How It's been explained to me by Dr. Mariella. She kind of says that spores are kind of like M&Ms flown into the room. They work themselves underneath the cupboards underneath places and they'll sort of sit and lay dormant and they really need the moisture from a cat and the heat from a cat to open the spores and melt your M&M per se. But really they can sit there for quite a while. There's even been a spore that has existed in research setting for over 10 years, a, a group of stuff that is still somewhat active. So it can lay dormant for a while, and it's there until you physically get it up. It's unclear as to how long it really can stay there to be effective, but they have said that, yes, it will be there for up to a few years and could lay dormant enough to be effective. But then that's why you just have to get the good cleaning protocols to be able to get all those M&Ms out of there. Because spores, they have gravity, and they adhere to things like dust and hair. They're not going to be floating around in the room. They will be down, but you just have to get down and get all that dust and hair out of the environment. And while doing that, you'll be getting the spores out as well. Are there any homeopathic treatments that you know of, or is this really the only way to go? This really is the proven research only way, documented way to go. People always give you sort of, oh, well, this worked for me. I just put this cream on and it was gone within three days. Well, a lot of that is giving a false sense of that things are really are taken care of. And really for the fungal infection to really get itself out, you really need to do what has been proven in research and in the lab and, and been proven for its applications. And the way that we've been doing it, last year we successfully treated over 300 cats and kittens. We know that what we have works, so we don't mess around with it. The one nice thing is that itraconazole used to be super expensive, that Spornox, which was the liquid version. And now there's been a new version that has come out by Alonco Labs called Itrafungal. Same product, same everything, but it went from over $2 an ml to like $0.60 an ml. So hopefully now people will be more active in the systemic treatment of the oral medication along with the topical treatment of the lime sulfur dips. Because if you just do one, just do the topical treatment, it'll take quite a while for it to really get away. Because what you're doing with the topical treatments is you're taking away the seeds, not the trees. So you're really curing new infections and from reinfecting, but you're not really curing that infection itself that you really have to treat from the inside with your oral systemic drugs like itraconazole or terbinafine you can use also for larger dogs and that sort of thing. Terbinafine has also been proven to work very well with treating ringworm and very minimal side effects. So if folks are interested in finding out more about SPORE or getting in contact with you, how would they do that? Through the San Francisco website, there is a little bit on there, but not as much. So through me, they would contact me via email. 
lmullen at sfspca.org. So they could contact me via email. There isn't that much that's on the program. Also through the Maddie's Fund website, because I will be doing one more apprenticeship in the late summer. So they do have some information also on the sport program. And we are trying to make it better so that we are going to get some more information out there on actual San Francisco SPCA website. But there isn't a lot on there just yet. And is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Just that ringworm can be very daunting at first, and it seems like there's a lot to do. And really, when you start just getting down and getting involved in the treatment, before you know it, most of the treatment is done. So I just encourage people to just start treating, start looking at the problem, and really just tackle it. And ringworm is not that scary. It's just a little bit of work to do, but it's nothing worth dying for. And there's no reason that animals have to have prolonged treatment. If you just look and do your research and look into the medical aspects that you can get this cured before you know it. Excellent. Laura, I want to thank you so much for being a guest on my show and I hope we'll have you on in the future. Great. Thank you. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. 